Why don't you take your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. So today is the second birthday of Bayou City Fellowship. We sang happy birthday uh, to us during prayer time. Uh, I didn't feel like it went over well. I don't think people were on board with that, so we're not going to do it right now. But it was amazing, no matter what you hear. So Vision Sunday, man. Thanks for being here. Acts chapter 4 is where we're going to be. So it is our second birthday, but our church really began a long time before that, 20 plus years ago. I became a Christian when I was 10 years old. I grew up in church. Maybe that's your story. Maybe you didn't grow up in church, but I was around things of faith a bunch. I was around the Jesus stuff a bunch. But there's a difference between being around something and being in something. You know, so you can walk around your house. You can go out and stand in front of your house, but there's a difference between being on the outside and on the inside. And I understood at 10 that I was on the outside. Even though I was a good person, I was a good 10-year-old, how bad can a 10-year-old be? Because of sin, I was on the outside, but Jesus had invited me to be on the inside, and I knew that clearly. And so with as much faith as a 10-year-old can muster up, I believed in Jesus and gave my life to him. The scripture says that to get into the kingdom of God, you have to have the faith of a child, and, and so that's what happened. And my parents were the kind of parents that we were going to be in church no matter what, and we were old school Baptists, which meant that we were there Sunday morning and then Sunday night. It was a different service, not like we do Sunday night church, which is the same as on Sunday morning. It was like a different one, different sermon, different songs. It was a little bit more casual. You could request songs from the audience, which was pretty cool. I used to request a song called God of Earth and Outer Space uh, because there was, there's a hymn called God of Earth and Outer Space. We'll sing it next week. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and we were just always there. And as I got into my teenager, teenage years, I wanted to be there less and less. I don't know if you have ever had a season of your life for that. It's like you believe, but you don't want to be around, you know. And so I would, uh, because I was against there, against, there against my will, I wanted to always sit in the back because the back was as far away from the action as you could possibly get and still be in the same room. So it's not like here where you have to sit in the back because that's the only seats that are available. It was, I want to sit in the back because I didn't want to be involved. And I used to wear a baseball cap and I'd pull that thing way down over my head. That was like a sign of protest, like baseball cap, don't talk to me. I don't want to be involved. I'm sitting in the back. These are all clues. Leave me alone. And, and so at 16... My sister was kind of into the Jesus thing a little bit. And long story short, I end up at this Christian concert type of thing that my mom essentially coerced me into going to. And there was a speaker there. And he didn't do some elaborate speech. It was just real simple. Make right decisions instead of making wrong decisions. And, and that was it. Wouldn't that be a fantastic sermon? Just three sentences. Don't do wrong things. Do right things. In Jesus' name, amen. That would be amazing. And then we'd all be out of here. It'd be glorious. And um, I'm kind of thinking about doing that right now. I know that'd make you very happy. Uh, but uh, we're not going to because I brought this board over here and I got to use that. So, so this guy is speaking about making right decisions. And then at the end of the deal, he has, you know, says, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, if you want to make a grand commitment, if you want to change your life, then stand up, come forward. And so just all these people coming, standing up and going forward. And, and I didn't do any of that. My big grand decision was, you know what I do that is wrong? I make fun of people and I'm good at it. Like, it's my spiritual gift to make fun of people, and I know it hurts people's feelings. And so this week, not forever, 
But just this week at school, I'm going to do my best not to make fun of anybody. That doesn't sound like that spiritual of a commitment, does it? But that's what I did. showed up Monday, and I had plenty of opportunities to make fun of people. I had some weird and dorky friends. And, and I did my best to just hold on to those things, not let those things come out of my mouth. After about the third day, Wednesday, I come home from school, and I think to myself, I should read my Bible. Now, honestly, before God, I didn't know where my Bible was. I had not picked it up in years. I'm not talking weeks. I'm not talking months. I'm not talking outside of church. I had not picked that thing up in years. I never had a desire to read it, but I wanted to read it. And so I, I found it. It was, it was kind of an old school King James version, black. And I, I didn't know where to start reading. I don't you ever done that? Like you just feel like you want to read the Bible, but you don't know what to do. And so you just open it up and you're reading something random out of Habakkuk. And uh, you didn't even know there was something. I'm just reading it. And... And I read it the next day, and I read it the next day. The next time I went to church, I didn't sit in the back. I wanted to sit in the front. Not because there's something more spiritual about the front, but for a long time, I had felt like I was on the outside of the action. And I didn't want to be on the outside of the action. I wanted to be inside the action. And not only did I want to be inside, I wanted to be right in the middle of it. Because it seemed to me that if Jesus was really who the Bible says that he was, and if if if, he, if I believed he really was who I was believing him to be, then action was where it was at. And I wanted him from my earliest days of faith, if he was who I thought he was, I wanted him to squeeze out of me every ounce and drop of usefulness. Bayou City Fellowship really started back then. We're only two years old, but the seed comes from that. And it's a good thing that I felt that way because it's a very biblical way to feel. That's what they're feeling in Acts chapter 4, verse 22. It says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many were, as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. So the apostles are giving testimony of what? Of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now, there's a chance that that would just wash over you as just kind of biblical speak. That seems like the kind of thing the Bible would say, doesn't it? Yeah, they're giving testimony. That's not a word that we use of what? Of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. When was the last time you referred to him as the Lord Jesus? It just feels very much like biblical speak, just kind of washing over us, going in one ear and out the other. But don't let it just kind of pass over you because this is a game changer. This takes Jesus to a whole nother level. See, Jesus was an amazing teacher. He was a great teacher. In fact, he was such a good teacher that if that was all he was, there would still be people obeying and following his teaching today. But he wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a great teacher. He was a great teacher who was raised from the dead. Jesus was filled with compassion. He welcomed sinners. And he was so compassionate that there would be people today, if that was all he did, who would be modeling their lives after the compassion of Jesus. 
but he was compassionate and he was raised from the dead. He was a forgiving and grace-giving people. There are not that many of those on planet Earth right now. But he wasn't just somebody who gave grace and forgiveness. He was raised from the dead. He was a revolutionary leader. At the time when the Roman Empire had a stranglehold on most of the known world, Jesus was attracting large groups of people. And not only was he attracting large groups of people, but some of those followers were willing to give their lives for his message. If he was just a revolutionary leader, we would probably still learn about him in our history books, but he was more than just a revolutionary leader. He was raised from the dead. And that takes him to another level. The revelation in chapter one says that Jesus was and is and yet to come. That's past tense. I think we understand that. Jesus lived. Jesus died. Past tense. And then there's a future tense. He's coming back again. Those, I think, are easy for us to wrap our minds around. Those are easy uh, for us to kind of bring into our minds during the course of the day. Jesus lived in the past. He's going to return in the future. But it also says he is present tense. Jesus is alive. And this is the mission of the church to proclaim that Jesus is alive. That's what they're doing. It says they're giving testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And look how they're doing it, verse 33, with great power. And then it says after that, and, with, and great grace was upon them all. That word great, it literally means mega. Mega power, mega grace. The grace here is the favor of God. That's what accompanies you and, and I when our mission is to give testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. You get great power to proclaim that message and you get the favor of God on you when you proclaim that message. And this is our mission. This past week I was at a coffee shop type of place and by coffee shop type of place I mean McDonald's at 10 in the morning. <laughs> I was not honest with the first service and I just felt like more truth, truthiness needed to be in this service. So I needed a refill of iced tea. I was there working because it's a very hip place to work. And as I'm going back to get a refill on my drink, there's a man doing a crossword puzzle and he's you know, got it on the table there. And I'm not really a crossword guy, but I, I kind of want to be a crossword person. Not, I don't want to do any of the work, but like, I respect them for having brains and stuff. you know. And so I'm, I'm doing that awkward thing where I'm looking at his crossword puzzle as I'm walking by and he sees me looking at it and he covers it up. <laughs> As if I had shown up at this place at just the right moment so that I could steal his crossword answers, you know. I'm having trouble with 1D. Maybe there'll be somebody at the McDonald's who's got it, you know. I mean, but if he's here this morning, and maybe you are, God bless you, you know. <laughs> if you ask him, I don't think he meant to do that. I don't think that was a strategic plan. I don't think he really thought that I was trying to cheat on the crossword puzzle by stealing his answers. It's just natural human instinct when somebody is looking into something that is personal to you to kind of cover it up. It's just natural instinct. And faith, following Jesus, is very personal. Maybe you can go back, like me, to when you were a child. 
or that moment in your life, whether you were a teenager or adult, when you knew clearly, I want to believe in Jesus. I am on the outside and Jesus has made a way for me on the inside and I want to give my life and my faith to Jesus. Maybe you can go back to that. That's a very personal moment. Maybe you were like some of us and at some point in your life, you just made bad decisions. And your life was in a ditch and you needed rescuing and the grace and mercy of God met you in that ditch and pulled you out. He restored your life, he restored your faith and that's very personal to you. Maybe you have poured yourself out in some way serving somebody. Maybe they didn't even know that you were doing it but as you were pouring yourself out it was like God was filling you back up. That's a very personal thing. And maybe our natural human instinct is to cover up what's personal, but the mission that God has given us as followers of Jesus is the exact opposite. We are to uncover this truth that Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. That Jesus is alive. You know, we say all the time here that we're a simple church. We're about one thing and one thing only. We are about Jesus. We're gonna be committed to him and we're gonna pour our lives out in his name. So sometimes people are like, what does that mean? That's all very vague, that's high up, and that's a great question. This is what it means. It means that there's a truth out there that is worth giving your life to. There is a mission out there that's worth pouring out every ounce of usefulness that you have, that the people in your life the people of this city would know that Jesus is alive. He was, yes, he is to come, yes, but right now at this moment, he is alive. See, every one of us, we have a dream church right now in our minds. You have fashioned the perfect church and it's amazing. It it teaches what you want it to teach. It it sings the songs that you want to sing. It serves the the things that you're passionate about serving. It, It doesn't do the things that you don't like. It's a dream church. Whether you've been here every Sunday since Bayou City Fellowship has started, or this is your first Sunday ever in church, all of us have a dream church. Some, you know, like sermons long. Nobody likes sermons long, but some people maybe do hypothetically. Some people like them really, really short. You're, you're stuck back on the three sentence sermon. You were wondering why we're not going with that route, right? It's a dream church. Well, the problem is, is we can't be all of those dream churches at the same time. But instead of asking you to sacrifice your dream church and the things that you're passionate about, the desires that God has put into your heart, we say, what if we just make ourselves about one thing so we can have a million different passions in this room, a million different callings in this room, being sent to a million different parts of this city because we're just about one thing. We are about Jesus, that he died for sinners and he's raised from the dead. So if you're back with me when I was 16, we fast forward about 13 years. Amanda and I are attending an amazing church in the city and we love it and we serve a fair amount and our kids like it and it's good. But I keep going back to when I'm 16, you know, and when I was 16 and Jesus got a hold of my life in a real way, not in a pretentious or religious way, but in a real way. I, I wanted every drop of usefulness squeezed out of me and I felt like there was more that I could bring to the table. And I wanted to bring it all to the table. And so God starts kind of stirring in us. 
Maybe we'll plant a church. Maybe we'll start a church. And we, that sounded like a terrible idea, but we did it anyway. And we invited our closest 50 friends to come and have dinner with us. And we told them about what would become Bayou City Fellowship. We fed them dinner because that seems like the kind of thing you should do when you're asking somebody to do something like that. We stopped at 50 because that was all I could afford. And we gathered in that room not to just start a church, but to help start a wave that would come over our city. A wave of people filled with the Spirit of God, with the message of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, being told powerfully and with great grace in every corner of this city. If you look at Acts chapter 4, you notice at the beginning of Acts chapter 4, we won't read it, but Peter and John, that's what they did. They gave testimony to the resurrection of Jesus and they were arrested because of it. And then you turn the page to Acts chapter 5 in the second half. The apostles do the same thing. They go and communicate that Jesus has been raised from the dead and they're arrested. And so we have this section that we're looking at which seems very happy. You know, there's a full number and there's great power and there's great grace and uh, people are sharing but it's sandwiched by persecution. Persecution on the front end and persecution on the back end. See, the resurrection of Jesus is an uncomfortable message. And because it's uncomfortable, it rescues us from dangerous comfort. There is a kind of comfort in this world that's dangerous. Two days ago, I was on an airplane and the flight attendant was giving his speech, you know, the safety, you know, just the whole rundown thing that he's getting ready to go. But he had a really good, interesting voice. It was kind of unique. And so I was kind of listening this time instead of zoning out. And he said this, United Airlines, our top priority, United Airlines, our top priority is your personal comfort, followed by a commitment to your personal safety. Which I thought was kind of weird that United Airlines would rather have me comfortable than alive, you know. <laughs> See, there is a kind of dangerous comfort in this world. Now, I like comfort as much as the next person. Given the choice between sleeping on the floor and sleeping in a bed, I'm going to choose the bed every time. Given the choice between a one-star hotel and a five-star hotel, I'm not an idiot. Given the choice between eating you know, things that are healthy for me and eating comfort food like donuts and chicken fried steak and mashed potatoes and uh, candy and chocolate and candy and more candy, you know, I'm always going to choose the things that are comforting. You know, broccoli has never been comforting to anybody. (laughs) I love comfort. And there's nothing wrong with comfort unless comfort takes a priority over what is right. And that happens all the time in church. Comfort overtakes the mission of the church on a week-to-week basis. I told you last week that my grandfather passed away, and so we flew up to Missouri to be a part of his funeral and to be with my family and you know how funerals kind of bring out that just walk down memory lane and oh remember that and and I even went and got all the photo albums out you know and had a big stack of photo albums I don't know what we're going to do when I'm a grandparent bring a bunch of old computers out and hope that they (laughs) fire up or something like that and we're walking down memory lane and and so I found out something that kind of bothered me you ever find out secrets not really secrets but find out information about your family history that you're like oh gosh I wish I wasn't a part of this family so when I was growing up we went to this church it was very small church it was way out in the country and uh, it was at one point probably in my late elementary years I guess the church only had 30 people in it 
And so the room, our church building, seat, seated probably 150 people. And so the pastor was preaching to a, essentially an empty room with 30 people in it. Now that's super uncomfortable. The biggest problem though is that the people who came to church, those 30 people, they didn't want to sit near the front. They always wanted to sit in the back because that's what good Baptists do. So this poor pastor was having to launch missiles from the stage all the way you know, to the back. And there's just nothing worse than that and doesn't create any kind of energy and stuff. And so he thought, he had this great idea. He's like, what if we just kind of rope off the back few rows just to ask people to sit a little bit closer? He almost got fired because of the ropes. And so I started asking my family, like, were you pro ropes? Are you, you know, no pro ropes? Like, I want to know, were you on the right side of this equation? Because what kind of person would go, I think that, you know, should I sit a little bit closer to the front? Not on the very front row, because who's being ridiculous, but you know, the, the, should I sit a little bit closer to the front or should I fire the pastor and keep sitting in the back? You know, I'm thinking we're we'll trying to fire the pastor. Like, who would do that? Yeah, comfortable people would do that. And I may not have a big opinion about ropes, but I guarantee you there's some comfort in my life that I would rather somebody lose their job than give up. There is a dangerous comfort in this world. And the thing that's so dangerous about it is that you don't know it's dangerous because it's comfortable. And we just slide into position where priorities get mixed up and comfort easily overtakes mission. I've not been a pastor a very long time, just two years, and so you can take this for what it is, maybe just a lack of experience, but any time that we've taken up a new cause around here, which doesn't happen very often, we're pretty consistent people, but any time we take a new cause up around here, the people who are affected the least grumble the most. I've never once sat across from somebody, looked them in the eye and said, I need you to do this. Will you please pray about taking on this new mission and then complain about it? Because the people who live and breathe and carry the mission, they have more important things to do than grumble about a loss of comfort. The Apostle Paul, he shows us the way out of this. He shows us something good can come of sacrificing comfort when we have to, Philippians chapter 1, he's actually in prison. And we don't know if his prison was kind of full on a prison as we would imagine it or just kind of an easy house arrest. But he described it as being in chains. Whether he is referring to that metaphorically or literally, we're not sure. This is what he says about his imprisonment. Verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. What's happened is the Apostle Paul, he noticed that some of the other brothers, some of the other Christians, they were being hesitant to, to preach the gospel, to, to proclaim that Jesus was alive because they were afraid that if they, they came out there and said that this Jesus who was alive is, or dead is, is now alive, that they would be persecuted, that they would be harmed, that they would lose some of their comfort. But Paul, he just went in and said, I'm gonna do it anyway. And he got arrested for giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. But what he tells us is, you would think that when he would get arrested, all those people who were afraid, they would be like, well, I'm glad I was afraid. I'm glad I didn't preach about Jesus, that he was alive because I don't wanna to go to jail. No, he said it had the 
exact opposite effect. When Paul was willing to sacrifice his comfort, it turns out there was a whole army willing to sacrifice theirs. They needed just somebody to lead the way. And you never know. And your circle of influence, there might be an army of servants in Jesus' name watching you, looking to you, waiting for somebody to say, I'm willing to sacrifice my personal comfort so that the, as many people as possible will hear that Jesus is alive. Because that's the mission. But comfort, dangerous comfort, it swallows up mission in my life, listen, on a daily basis. Comfort swallows up mission in me, the pastor. Not on a weekly basis, not on a monthly basis, not a couple of times a year, but daily. My comfort and ease chokes out my pure hearted desire for him to squeeze out every ounce of usefulness. We have to guard ourselves against dangerous comfort. Then turn back to Acts chapter four. It says this in verse 34. And there was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. And it says in verse 32 about the church being full of number, one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things belonged to him was his own, even though they were his own, even though they did belong to him or her, but they had everything in common, meaning they were willing to share everything. Some people ask me sometimes why I never talk about our daughter, Annabeth. She's four years old and she's an uh, amazing little girl, but uh, all of her stories would be hilarious and then they would end with, and Annabeth got in trouble. Uh, so I know we have future and prospective parents out there and I don't want to scare anybody off by, and Annabeth got in trouble. So there'll be a day when we get a lot of Annabeth stories and they'll be fantastic, but, but not yet, not yet for the, for the encouragement of the body of Christ. But a few days ago, we were giving her, Amanda was giving her the you have to share speech. You know, we were around some cousins and you have to share your toys, you have to share your things. It's the right thing to do. And Annabeth's kind of a dramatic person. And so she throws her head back and she says, Mommy, my body does not want to share. (laughs) Listen, she's not going to grow out of that. Is she? No, that doesn't go away when you turn 15 or 20 or 25 or 40 or 50 or 80. Your mind won't want to share. Your flesh won't want to share. Your heart may not want to share. But the resurrection message of Jesus encourages us to radical selflessness. It tells us that there's something more important in this world than what we have and what's ours and what we can call our own. But that doesn't come natural to anybody. What comes natural to us is selfishness. And listen, selfishness is the main purpose of most of our lives. If you remove selfishness from my life, I'm afraid I may not have a life. But the resurrection message of Jesus comes in and it disrupts all of that and it 
It shows us that there's something worth giving our lives to that is way better than what we have and what we own and what we can share or what we can't share. I've noticed in my life, and this may not be you, so you don't have to wear it, but I've noticed in my life, the less I become aware of someone else's needs, the more I become aware of my wants. When I forget that there are people in this city who need, who need, who desperately, eternally need to know that Jesus is alive. There's nothing I wouldn't sacrifice. There's nothing I wouldn't give up. There's no price I wouldn't pay. But when I forget that, it easily becomes about what I want. There are people in our city who need money. They need it to buy food. They need it to pay their bills. They need it to stay in the home or the hotel they're in right now. They need money. And as a church, we want to be in a position to give it to them in Jesus' name. But when I forget that there are people in our city who need that, then I just start looking around and saying, well, this is what I want. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? You want? You want? Yeah, let's, this is what we want. This is, this is what we should do. Selfishness is like the break to any mission. So you go back to that very first room where we mentioned the name Bayou City Fellowship. Just 50 people having dinner. We didn't want to be a church like that. We didn't want to be a church where what we wanted took priority of what someone else needed. In fact, it's one of our commitments still to this day that we will spend our resources for the good of our city and the world instead of spending them on our own physical and spiritual entertainment. And by God's grace, in two years, we've done that. We have amazing global partners. His Voice Global, we help feed people in a volatile country in East Asia. Through Compassion International, hundreds of you have sponsored hundreds of children with our partner church in El Salvador. Through As Our Own, which rescues little girls uh, who are born into red light districts in India. Not this past year, but the last full calendar year, Bayou City Fellowship, this tiny little Bayou City Fellowship was their largest church donor. With churches giving to them who are two and three and four and five times our size. Because of your generosity and our commitment to not just spend our resources on the things that we want, we have amazing neighborhood partners as well. One of our commitments in that very first room was that whatever neighborhood we ended up in, that neighborhood would know that we were there and they would be glad that we moved in. So we have a partnership with Pine Shadows Elementary, which is just a few blocks from here. We come around their teachers through the school year. We show up with sonic drinks for them, ice cream, feed them lunch. Once a month, somebody from our church, a handful of people from our church are in that school loving on those teachers in Jesus' name. The, the teachers were so moved by this past year that they showed up at our church about a month ago at the five o'clock service. They had baked cookies and cakes and they just showed up on their summer vacation. They gathered to do this, to say thank you to you for your role in encouraging them as they fulfill the calling that God has place on their lives to be teachers. We have a great uh, partner in Cornerstone Kids Ministry, which ministers to children in our neighborhood. That's who we do Bayou City Nights with. 
And then there's Gracewood. Gracewood is also just a few blocks really around the corner from here. Gracewood is a a home for single moms that need just a little breath of fresh air to kind of get their head above the water to get things in order. And Gracewood gives them some homes to live in. Those homes are just right around the corner from here. And a couple of months ago at the beginning of the summer, Gracewood built a new home and they were having a big grand opening. And so some of the ladies specifically who lead out from our church in that ministry, they emailed me and they emailed me a bunch of times and said, would you please come? And so after the third email, I was like, I guess I need to go to this. And and so I showed up. I had been to Gracewood once, uh, one Christmas. I went and helped put up Christmas lights with a bunch of people. I was just another nameless face in the, in the crowd as we were doing this. And I show up to Gracewood at the beginning of the summer for this event, and I got a table there to check in. And so I say, my name is Curtis Jones. And they go, Curtis Jones, Bayou City Fellowship? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, that's me. And they start taking me around. Hey, this is Curtis Jones, Bayou City Fellowship. This is Curtis Jones, Bayou City Fellowship. And I, I, was, I was like, listen, I, I've only been here one time. I, you know, I'm sorry, I should have been here more, but I was only one time. And, you know, like, why, why are you doing this to me? You know, you know, and after about the fifth person that they were kind of showing me off as the president of the United States with government officials there, CEOs of major corporations that you've heard of there, they're walking me around like I'm somebody important. I finally get to kind of the last person and she looks me in the eye and says, thank you for your church for what you give for who shows up here and ministers to these moms thank you that's radical selflessness and mission and selflessness they go together If you have mission with selfishness, there's really no mission. There's an idea, but there's no pursuit of that idea. Mission and selfishness, selflessness are partners. And selfishness is the brakes to any mission. So I'm gonna draw you a map, if that's okay. We live in Houston, Texas, the greatest city in the world. Amen? No, nobody's feeling that today when it's 100 degrees outside. But uh, it is Houston, Texas. Just in case any of you get confused about what map we're drawing. So I want to draw you the map of Houston, if that's cool. We have I-10 stretching from coast to coast, Florida to California. And right here, you have Houston. You have the 610 Loop. This is where all the cool people live. They live inside that. You've got 45 coming down, going out. You've got the 288 Pearland folks represented down here. You've got 59 coming from one angle to the other angle. You got the 290 folks coming in from northwest Houston. Then you got the Beltway making another circle around our fair city. And this is where we are. Right here, a little star. In between 290 and I-10 on the Sam Houston Tollway. And when you start a church, they kind of give you a manual. Now, it's not a written down manual. It's just everybody kind of does the same thing. And so we were getting prepared and they tell us what to do. You know, you first you get a dream, check. You you get a team, check. We got one of those. Then you rent a school, check. Thank you, Houston Christian High School. Then you, your church grows and you don't really have control over that, I guess. And Sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. And that happened here, so check. Then you get a building. 
That's what you do. Well, we have a little problem here at Bayou City Fellowship. See, our little 50 uh, people, that little handful started, uh, turned into 450 people on our first Sunday. And so today, probably a safe estimate is we'll have somewhere between 1,400 and 1,500 people here today at Bayou City Fellowship. Pretty cool. Except for now, instead of a little storefront or instead of a CVS, abandoned CVS, for a church that's this big now we need some mega property which means you need a mega loan so we go to the bank because the playbook was get a team get a school get some growth get a building so we go to the bank and you know hey let's talk about a loan let's talk about some of those things and they say what what business are you in oh yeah we're a church okay fantastic how long have you been around oh yeah we've been around a year and a half okay so a lot of credit built up Uh, you ever have one of those uncles that uh, you say something and they put their hand on your head and go, oh, you're so cute. That's what the bank did to us. How sweet. They would give us enough money to buy a mailbox. So, but that's fine because here at Bayou City Fellowship, we don't believe in banks. We believe in miraculous provision. And whether God uses a bank or doesn't use a bank doesn't really matter to us, but he will miraculously provide for us. And so in January, we had this group of people who kind of just stirred in them by the spirit of God to start praying. They they would fast on Mondays at lunch and they would pray for miraculous provision to come to our church because everybody knows whether you've been to church a million times or one time, the plan is, you know, get a school, grow the church, get a building. That's what churches do. And so everybody's praying and they're praying for one thing, but God starts maybe speaking this other thing. That what if we didn't just follow the manual, even though there's nothing wrong with the manual. Because what you also know about Houston, Texas is it's growing. It's growing by thousands of people every single day. And so that's why they are building the Grand Parkway. You know, they've already finished some parts of it. It's coming around us, Cyprus, and then it's gonna go on to North Houston and then around Highway 99. And we learned recently from people who seem to know these things that they are also starting to buy up property way west of Katy to build another half loop around the city. Now, it's only a half loop because if it was a whole loop, you'd drive right into the ocean. And as the city expands and grows, gets bigger and bigger, that dot starts looking a lot smaller and smaller. How are we going to influence many neighborhoods? So these guys start praying for miraculous vision and God starts speaking. That what if instead of just building one massive place in one spot and inviting the city to come to us, man, what if we went to the city? And instead of one big dot, what if we just started putting some smaller dots? all over this city in Jesus' name. And whatever neighborhood we find ourselves in, that neighborhood will know that we were there and they will be glad that we moved in. But that sounds like a crazy idea and uh, it wouldn't be the first crazy idea I had, so I ran it by my safety net, which is my lovely wife, Amanda. She's a uh, defender of you from all of my bad ideas. 
So I say, I don't know. I just feel like maybe this is a, a way forward for us that will give us time to keep waiting for miraculous provision and to keep saving, which we do diligently every single week. And she didn't think that one was as insane, crazy, yes, but not insane. And so I took her to our staff and the amazing men and women who lead us so faithfully every single week. And we talked about the pros and the cons, prayed about it, took some time, got some consensus. I took her to our leadership team our leadership team is seven other men who walk beside, beside me. There's, they are the wise counsel of this church, depending on what kind of church you grew up in. It could be deacons, it could be elders, it could be a council, it could be a board, but at our church, we call them the leadership team. And we talked about the pros and the cons. We weighed all the benefits and all the potential disasters. It took a whole month, long time to pray about it. We came back in the spring at the McAllister's Deli, 290 in Spring Cypress, in case any of you want to go there. It's a lovely place. And we talked about it some more, and we voted. I said, I'm in. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. But this was God's way for us. It's not the only way. It's just his way for us. So on November 3rd, two months from now, here in this room, right here in this room, Bayou City Fellowship will be here with every seat filled in Jesus' name, with powerful, anointed, God-saturated worship, with effective, serious, meaningful prayer, with a person, live, human being, opening up the living and active word of God, proclaimed with great power and great effectiveness. And at the same time, way out northwest in Cypress, Texas, Bayou City Fellowship will be gathering there with powerful, God-saturated worship, with serious, effective prayer, with live, in-person, human being opening up the Word of God and ministering to every neighborhood we find ourselves in, in Jesus' name. So you probably have a lot of questions and those who are still stuck at the three sentence sermon won't uh, give us time to answer all those questions. But here's a couple. So who are we looking for? We are looking for just a handful of people called and stirred by God to help us lift this new place off the ground. You may live out there. You may just want to be a part of something like that. Just a handful. Those who God has called, we're not asking everyone to go. We're not asking a large group of people. All we're saying is this is God's will. Who is God calling? And if you feel like he's stirring you to be a part of the handful of trailblazers that will help build another room onto this house, let me tell you from the beginning, it will require all of your faith all of it. It will be really, really hard work. And it will be one of the most significant things you do with your life. Somebody's thinking, well, I don't live close to that new place. How will my life be affected? 
Well, if that's you, you can feel comfort in numbers. 80% of our church live within an arm's reach of this location. So there will always be a church here thriving and ministering in Jesus' name. And if you don't want to be affected, if you just want to be like, hey, I am team lose the ropes, you know, I don't want to be affected at all. How am I going to be affected by this? Just two small ways. Number one, you have to hear me just a little bit less because I can only be in one place at one time. And depending on how you feel about me, that may be a sacrifice or not a sacrifice. And then there may be some people who God is stirring in right now that you're used to sitting next to, you're used to kind of serving with, and they may be feeling the call to help and launch, go and launch this new place. And you'll have to use this amazing invention that God invented called a car to go and meet them for dinner some other time. But I'm hoping, and I know that we are not the kind of church where people are going to be like, well, I don't want my life to be affected. And if my life is gonna be affected, then I don't really like this idea. No, we are the kind of church that we want to go and uncover the resurrection of the Lord Jesus in every part of our city. We don't want to be the kind of people that say, this is what we do, come to us. No, we want to take the heart of Jesus and go to the people. But if you live here and this is where your people are and this is where your neighborhood is, in order for this place to thrive, we need everyone engaged. Equal weight and equal responsibility, all of us carrying the load. We need you to serve. That's why on Vision Sunday, you see all those amazing, amazingly decorated tents out there so that you can find a a meaningful place to serve somewhere in this church so that God would squeeze out all the usefulness in you. And I believe that on November 3rd, which will be the first Sunday of Bayou City Fellowship Cyprus, that at Bayou City Fellowship Spring Branch, it will be the most full that it's ever been that the seats that are vacated by those who are called will be filled multiple times by those who are new because that's the way that God works around here because we believe in Jesus and we proclaim Jesus. And when you proclaim Jesus, you get the power of God and the favor of God. Will it be the exact same? Pretty much. The amazing ministries that we have here, we will replicate there kids ministry here, kids ministry there, student ministry here, student ministry there, plus our student ministry is such an amazing culture. Not only will we have individual student ministries, but they'll come together often to continue those great relationships that they've built in these early days. Are we anti-buildings? No way. Exclamation mark, no way. We will continue to save and we will continue to pray for miraculous provision. And whenever it is a good and wise decision for us to purchase, then we will, as long as our generosity remains. We will not sacrifice our generosity for doors and windows. And a $60,000 mortgage payment has a way of making you afraid to be generous. I have more questions how do I get them answered? That's fantastic. You want to join a community group. Community groups are starting in these weeks. There's information out in the lobby for the one that's nearest to you or the one that uh, is a time that would be most beneficial to you. 
In the next three weeks, I'll be making my way around with one of our leadership team members to answer any questions that you might have in that community group setting. Our leadership team, some of those guys will be up here in the front if you just want to ask them, hey, tell me about what it was like to pray. And when you felt sure, uh, they can tell you their personal story. Our staff will be out at their perspective tent, a respective tent. So you just ask them, hey, what, will kids ministry look the same in this place? What do you need? I want to volunteer. Uh, those kinds of things. But your questions will be answered in that community group setting. The last question. Why are we doing this again? Because Jesus is alive. He's not just a good teacher that we believe in. He's not just an amazing prophet. He's not just a revolutionary leader. He's not just somebody who had a lot of grace and compassion and forgiveness. He was dead and now he is alive. And the people of our city need, they need to know. So we're going to go to them. And if God is stirring in you to be a part of that handful to go, as you leave today, you'll see some people out in the lobby with some cards that have some information where you can sign up for that. We'll meet a few times between now and November 3rd to make sure that we have everything in order. It will be hard work, but it will be significant. And God will squeeze out every ounce of usefulness out of you, whether you go or whether you stay, because that should be our response to an empty grave. Let's pray. I pray, Father, that you would just speak your presence to us now. I pray for everyone who feels far away from you, that they would hear you inviting them into the house. For those of us who feel close, I pray you would capture that closeness, that you wouldn't let it flee from us. And I pray, God, for those of us who feel the mission all stirred up in us, that you wouldn't let comfort swallow up our pure-hearted passion for Jesus. We ask these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.